explicitly we are looking at racial diversity. So when I mention the word diversity, that's what I mean. So why feature Welcoming the Nations in this series? Why has it made it into this short summer series slot? That's what we're going to look at tonight. Why is Welcoming the Nations so important? So I'm going to start by reading from the Bible. I'm going to read from Revelation, which is nice and easy to find if you've got a Bible with you. It is the last book. Um, from ch chapter 7, verse 9, where we see John, who has a vision of heaven. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honour and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but I, when I read books, really like to visualize and picture what I read. I like to imagine what characters look like. I like to imagine scenery. It really helps me understand the text. I do it in other areas, too. I like to visualize what I'm going to wear in the morning to reduce my getting ready time. I love visualizing meals when I'm hungry. Um, but when I read this passage, I thought, right, when have I been in a crowd that I couldn't number? When have I been in a great multitude that no one could number? So I started thinking back, and I thought, Zara Sale, but that didn't really evoke many nice feelings, the stress of trying to grab the last top in your size. So I thought back further, and when I was about eight or nine, I went to see Blue in concert in Wembley. Um, what a gig, what a special moment. And I stood on the Wembley Stadium floor, and I looked around me, teeny tiny Belinda, and I saw thousands and thousands, to me it felt like millions of people stood around me, all there singing One Love to Duncan, all with their banners. Um, and in that moment, I felt like overwhelmed with how many people there were together. And maybe you've had something similar. It might not have been blue, poor taste. I know. It could have been at a football match. It could have been maybe you went to see the Olympics when they were here. It could have been at any other gig. But when you've stood there and thought, gosh, there's no way I can count the number of people. Then I came back and looked at this passage with the idea of the blue Wembley gig in my mind. And I thought, oh my goodness, if that felt big to me, how much more was this, a great multitude that no one could number, that went further than the eye could reach, which is amazing. And here John has done such an amazing job of painting a vivid picture for us of heaven. He's really tried to help us visualize what heaven is going to look like. And there's no ambiguity with the way he speaks here. He says every nation, all tribes, all peoples, all languages, it's not some, it's not many, it's not a few, no, it's all of them. Not one is missing from this in heaven. He's layered description upon description here of nation, of diversity, of people, of languages, so he can drill home that point that heaven is diverse. There is a universality of the crowd. And this is the reality that as Christians we look forward to, that one day I'll stand in heaven with all of these nations worshipping God. But also as a Christian, I pray on earth as it is in heaven. And so I can stand here tonight and I can say that actually God values diversity here right now as much as he does in heaven. But my question tonight is why? Why is diversity so important? Why have we got welcoming the nations? 
why does Grace Church need to be diverse? Well, there are loads and loads of reasons, but I'm going to focus on three big ones tonight. And the first one is because he's worth it. Not a like wind tunnel moment of, I'm worth it, L'Oreal. But uh, he is worthy. God is worthy of it. It says in that passage, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, amen. This unnumbered crowd in this heavenly picture isn't just there to enjoy meeting people from other countries, to catch up with that pen pal you had in year seven, to ask Australians if toilet really does flush the other way on the southern side of the hemisphere, but they're there for one purpose and one purpose alone, and that is to worship God, because he is so wonderful that he will find passionate admirers from every single people group on this planet. He's worthy of praise. He is so magnificent, so good, so indescribable. This is just a cop-out so I can carry on with the preach. I have to keep listing things. His greatness deserves every single voice to praise him. And I looked up, actually, how many different languages is that going to be? How many people groups do we have here on Earth? And one website I found said there were probably 7,000-ish spoken languages. And I mean, they definitely would have missed some. They definitely haven't considered all the different dialects and the slight changes and nuances in language, how there's probably millions more that we just don't even know about. And here, in this passage, it says that everyone is represented. And that's not like they've just got some guy from Iceland, guy from Panama, guy from Mexico calling out in their language. No, they've got thousands upon thousands of each language here in heaven. They often say the greater the man or woman the larger the fan base. And you can probably think of a celebrity, a sportsman, somebody that we all love. Usain Bolt's a great pun, isn't it? He's a fantastic man. Everyone loves Usain Bolt. How much more for God? Psalm 150 says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Everything. That means that every single person, no matter the country of origin, has breath to praise him. Actually, it extends beyond people to nature, because nature worships God too. In Romans 8, we hear that creation groans for the day of when it meets Jesus again. In Isaiah 55, the mountains and the trees shout and clap their hands with joy. Jesus, as usual, goes one step even further. And he says, if we as humans went to praise God, the very rocks and stones would cry out in praise. Because there is something about God that is so universally praiseworthy, so profoundly wonderful, so satisfying and worthy, that he just demands our praise. When I say demands, I don't mean like a toddler demanding a lollipop in Aldi, but I mean that when we catch even a glimpse of his character, we see a tiny bit of his face, we can't help but praise him. Like in worship time earlier, when songs and prayers were just flowing out, it's because he's owed it, because he is so, so good. He has admirers from every possible source on this planet. One commentator puts it, his appeal will be to the deepest, highest, largest capacities of the human soul. Thus, the diversity of the source of admiration will testify to his incomparable glory. It's a bit wordy, so I'll just read that last bit again. Thus, the diversity of the source of admiration will testify to his incomparable glory. Diversity in the church is testimony of who he is. It magnifies the glory of God now. So diversity is good because he's worth it, but also 
because it's more beautiful. There is beauty and there is power in coming together united in diversity that's actually more powerful than coming together united alone. And I kind of think of it a bit like this. Um, I play the cornet, which is a bit like this trumpet here. I won't give you a rendition, don't worry. Um, shout out to Ben for playing tonight. Where are you, Ben? Brass ensembles. Um, I thought it was really cool when I was eight, less so when I was 18, but Ben, you're bringing it back for me. Thank you. But I play the cornet. <laughs> I was in lots of bands and orchestras and stuff at school. And um, we'd go away the brass line and practice our cornets and trumpets together. We'd practice our line and our um, score of music to make sure we were ready for the concerts. And not to blow my own trumpet slash cornet, but we sounded great. We sounded really good. And then we'd come back together as a whole orchestra. And we'd carry on playing the same thing we were playing in another room. But suddenly you have the beautiful strings coming in, or the saxophone adding a nice line, the clarinet on the top, the cymbals when it gets really exciting. And it suddenly makes something just even more beautiful, as beautiful as James Bond theme can be in the school orchestra. But. <laughs> um, another way I like to think about it is this, and I, who would have ever thought I'd say these words during a message, but football. Uh, we, <laughs> we probably all have a friend, or a husband in my case, who loves football and loves their team. And in, across our country, we have so many good and bad, sorry, Chris, teams um, that are constantly playing against one another, apart from in the blissful few months in summer where I don't have to worry about it. But our football teams, uh, we've got like people like Man U and Chelsea and Arsenal and Newcastle that are constantly vying for the top spot. And I don't really care about football. But last year, something changed. Um, the World Cup came along. Now, I wasn't bothered at the beginning. I really wasn't bothered. I wasn't bothered when an A3 poster got stuck up in our lounge, full of all the dates and the times of each game. I wasn't bothered uh, when merchandise seeped into our home, or when Three Lions was on repeat morning and night, don't worry, it was both ends of the day, or when colleagues at lunch just kept saying, we're bringing it home, until I watched a game. And I did it with quite a few friends, and we had an Arsenal supporter, a Liverpool supporter, a Chelsea supporter, a Man U supporter, a Newcastle sympathiser, all in one room, <laughs> cheering for one thing, for England in this case, but for one team. They grieved together when goals weren't scored, they went crazy when Hattrick Harry Kane came on board, and actually, by the end of the World Cup, oh, I loved it. I followed all of them on Instagram. I knew all of their names, what they got up to, all the positions they played. I met people in social situations I never met before, and I was saying, they're coming home! And I know all the words to Three Lions, all the ad-libs. Oh, goodness, I've listened to that song too many times. But there was something so special about that moment, of all these teams that were normally against each other, normally separated, normally divided, coming together and cheering for one purpose, one common thing. And now imagine if every football fan in the world cheered for one team. It would be a really boring game, wouldn't it? Just one team kicking a ball between themselves. But imagine the crowd, how that would feel in the crowd, every single member cheering for the same thing. That's what this revelation picture is. John says, they are standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice. That's just one voice they cry with. There's no room for nationalism here. They're united and speak as one because they have a common goal, to worship our Savior, who's given us all something actually in common. He's made us all his children. And when this happens, when 
uh, there's unity in diversity, there's a really beautiful, dynamic, unique body that comes out of it. There's a richness of experience, there's collaboration, humility, there's a loss of pride, there's challenge, there's teaching, there's learning, there's joy. There's a global church being built, brothers and sisters from other countries coming together and making a symphony rather than just a solo. But how do we see this day to day? Because it sounds lovely. It sounds like it's going to be great when we get there. But how do I see this in my day-to-day -day life without hopping on a plane and going to every nation I possibly can go to? Well, actually, it can be quite easy. It's about crossing the daily divide, simple actions in your everyday that become a normal rhythm. People tend to gravitate towards people that are like them, cat people to cat people, dog people to dog people. Um, but when you cross the divide, when you break out of that group of similar people, something amazing happens. It's beautiful in God's sight. It's an act of worship. It's an act that builds his church. And we have been so blessed to live here in Nottingham because it is such a multicultural city. We've got two teaching hospitals, two universities. What a draw for international students and for young professionals who are coming to work here. We are rich with opportunity to speak to people from other countries. Maybe it's in halls, tutorials, in the gym, in the pub, at school, wherever it might be, we can be intentional every day. We can make a beeline for that person who's not like us, a beeline for someone who is from another country, because the church is made stronger because of it, because of diversity. The enemy delights in division, and we're much rather you didn't speak to anyone that wasn't like you. A simple act of getting up and choosing to speak to someone who is from another country does something huge for the kingdom. And as I was preparing this message, I felt quite a conviction about this, about why was I doing such simple things to change, change the landscape, to change the atmosphere a bit. So this week on Monday, I was sat eating my lunch in the staff room with my friends. I just finished, and I looked over and noticed a supply teacher from another country. God bless her, worst job in the world. Um, and so I did something radical, did something crazy. I just went and said, hello, how's your day? And that was it. A small, small, possibly insignificant action, yet was full of obedience and disallowing division. And they may be small, and they may seem insignificant in those tiny moments. But if we all do it in this room together, how beautiful could that be? Because being united, despite any difference in nationality or country, is so beautiful, and it's so powerful for him and his kingdom. So diversity is good because he is worth it, because it's more beautiful, and thirdly, because it's what he came for. Inclusion of ethnically diverse peoples in the church has and is and will always be God's intention for his people. And we see that as far back as the first book in the Bible in Genesis. In fact, someone prayed out about it with Abraham. And we see that right back at the beginning of the Bible when God's talking to Abraham. And the theme of it weaves its way through the rest of the Bible. We see how diversity is such a key feature for God. We see division happen. We see fractures. We see pain rise. And then we see it meet Jesus in the Gospels. Jesus who came and flipped everything on its head. Jesus who welcomed those that the others didn't, who partied with those that never got invited. Jesus who not only befriended the Jews, God's chosen people at the time, but also the Gentiles, those that were from other countries, those that did not yet know God. Jesus' good news radically crossed all uncrossable boundaries. He came to win 
and to restore God's plan for diversity, to heal fractures and to unite the body as one people. The point of the cross, the point of Jesus dying on the cross for us was to offer new life to everyone, irrespective of country, irrespective of nationality, to come together full of love and grace, to worship, just like in John's image in heaven where it says, standing before the throne, clothed in white robes, crying out, salvation belongs to God. But despite Jesus' victory, despite him winning this reality for us, so often we still choose to not come together. And there's a verse in Ephesians, um, which, oh, look at you go, which says, um, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one. In this case, it's referring to the Jews and the Gentiles as the two groups, but in this case, we can read it as any division between nations or nationalities. So make the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. I'm just going to skip to verse 16. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. Jesus has completed his defining work here, and yet so often we still allow division. He's torn down this wall, this separation between all nations, all countries, but so often we still choose to sit amidst the rubble and just kind of wave across it rather than getting up and embracing that the wall is gone. And I don't know about you, but this hit me quite hard, and I had to ask myself a question, and maybe you want to ask yourself it tonight. Are you still allowing division, subconsciously or consciously? Are you sitting as if the wall is still there? Because Jesus tore everything down so that we could become one. And he instructed us to be a witness to the ends of the earth. We need to respond to this. And how? Well, we welcome the nations where we are. And that could be something as simple as inviting someone around for dinner. Or inviting someone from another country around your home group. Maybe you've got some people from other countries in your home group. Ask them to bring some food, like we did this morning. It was great. In fact, Callum and Ashley's home group have done this. Where's Callum? A few times. Um, It was Tony that bought some Chinese food round for dinner, which I heard went down very, very well. So maybe you can invite some traditional dishes into your house and you'll be fed, I'm sure, excellently. Maybe you want to learn some non-English worship songs. We did a couple this morning. Always a great laugh. I've done some in, uh, when I've traveled abroad, I've done some in Papua New Guinea and Malawi, and I've absolutely loved it. It's such a joy to worship in sometimes not your own tongue, to be with your brothers and sisters from a different country and have a bit of fun. Or maybe the team you serve on isn't particularly diverse. Is there anyone that you could ask to come and serve on that team and to help it to reflect what Revelation 7 says it's going to look like? Our morning meeting visuals team is made up of six people. Only one of them is Caucasian, and I think it was four different nationalities are represented in that team alone. And they had a visuals team night the other night where they all got together and shared some food, some drink, and about their cultures with each other. Or maybe you want to go and serve on a team that has diversity in its attendees. Stay and Play, our mum, dad, and tots group, has had all sorts of incredible diversity, um, people coming from across the city to come along to it. So maybe you want to go and serve there and get to know people from other nations. But I guess my biggest bit of advice with this is, don't let the awkwardness of things like language barriers or cultural barriers stop you. When I've traveled to Papua New Guinea, um, I, was, I found it quite difficult with a language barrier. 
to connect with people. In fact, when I was in halls, I had a girl opposite me who was from India, um, and neither of us spoke each other's language. Well, she could speak more English than I could of hers. But we struggled quite a lot with making that conversation. But actually, if we pursue these relationships with integrity and with the aim to honor the other person, well, it doesn't really matter if you look foolish or feel awkward at all in the process. Like, if you have to ask someone to repeat their name, that's totally fine. I have to do it a lot on my registers at school. But if you engage with the humility and with the knowledge that that conversation right there and then is what Jesus died for, that it is that precious to him, that, that you are building his church by having that conversation, like foolishness and feeling silly just doesn't matter, does it? Because after all, he calls us one diverse body, one chosen race, one royal priesthood, one holy nation, one treasured possession, one family, all of this being blood-bought for you. He didn't die for it in vain. He won it for us. He bought it for us. That's why diversity is important. It magnifies him. I was really privileged to be part of a team that went to Malawi in Easter to visit a church we have a relationship with out there. And there are only two tongues represented, English and Chichua, only two nations, England and Malawi, represented. But honestly, what a, it was such a foretaste of what John has spoken about in Revelation. I came home so much richer because I got to spend time with my Malawian brothers and sisters that I got to stand side by side, shoulder to shoulder, like I will in heaven with them and worship in the beauty of diversity. Um, and so I popped together a little video this week just to show you some highlights of Malawi, classic safari shops and all sorts. But the clip I really care about and want you to see is the very final clip where we worship together. Um, so if I get the video up, I'll pop back up in a second. After this I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Let's worship.